Everybody glad you're here? Do, we don't have an online audience, do we? Okay. (laughs) We don't have much of anything. I think a transformer got blown last night in the storm. So um, we're going to do church like Jesus, no technology. Um, So pray for me. (laughs) I'm kind of a handicapped pastor anyway. Uh, I love you and I thank God for you. If you're here for the first time, man, we are delighted that God has brought you. And I just want to say, um, you know, our world is wrecked, and it wrecks, it breaks our hearts. Uh, there's prayer time tonight in our chapel over on the other side of our campus uh, regarding Ukraine from six o'clock on. Just come and go and pray for our broken world. In fact, I'd like to pray right now if you'd bow with me. Our Father, you've gathered all these people in this space and the concluding service of our weekend. We thank you for what you did last night at 8.15, at nine o'clock, and now in this service, Lord, you were gonna show up and show off with your love and compassion. And our world needs you, Lord. Our world is a dumpster fire. We call down your goodness. We call down your faithfulness, your compassion. And most of all, we're here to meet with Jesus, so would you reveal him through your word by the power of the Holy Spirit, in his name, amen. Amen. Uh, If you are here for the first time, man, you caught us on the front end of a new teaching series uh, called Epic. I'm talking about Epic Jesus. Uh, The word epic means extraordinary, and Jesus is extraordinary. In fact, the apostle Paul, under the breath of God, God breathed on Paul, and Paul began to write this description of the epic Jesus. Now, we're going old school now, not just because our um, technology is shot out this morning, but I want to do what in the old days we called a responsive reading. It's all the word of God phrase after phrase, sentence after sentence in one paragraph. And so where it says, pastor, that's the part I read. It should say really good looking pastor, but there wasn't enough space and it wasn't true. Um, But when it says church, that's you, okay? That's when you read. So if you would stand with me now to honor God's word and we're going to respond God's word to each other. I'll begin, I think, there we go. Pastor, that's me, here we go. We look at Jesus and see the God who cannot be seen. Your turn. For everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels. He was there before any of it came into existence. And he holds it together right up to this very moment. He was supreme in the beginning, leading the resurrection parade. God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Jesus. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's the word of God. Thank you. You may be seated. So get this picture. God breathes 
on Paul, and Paul wrote the words we just said together. But guess who else was there? A young man named Mark. And as he read those words for the first time, he said to himself, I've got to write it. I've got to write the story of Jesus. I want everyone to know everything Jesus did. And so he writes this epic action adventure. I mean, that's the way it feels. He uses, his total focus is on all the actions of Jesus. And he uses um, three words over a thousand times, and, now, and immediately. He writes in rapid fire fashion, just like this, and Jesus did this. Now Jesus did that. Immediately, Jesus did this, and Jesus did that. On and on, carrying us on a tidal wave of passion all the way to the cross and the empty tomb and the victory of Jesus. That's where we are in the book of Mark. And last week, we got to see Mark revealed the very first action taken by Jesus. And it was kind of surprising and unanticipated. Maybe you would think Jesus would, first action would be some sensational miracle. He would take a little girl who had just died and raise her from the dead. He would touch the eyes of the blind and restore sight. But the very first action taken by Jesus as revealed by Mark was his baptism. We see God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, humbling himself, surrendering himself, obeying God the Father, and being buried in the water. That was the first action taken by Jesus because when you believe in Jesus, it's the very first action you take. First thing you do, once you believe in Jesus, that he died for your sins and rose from the dead, you don't sit on the fence. You don't wait. You take initiative. You are baptized. Here's how Jesus said it, Mark 16, 16. Anyone who believes me and is baptized will be saved. And anyone who refuses to believe me will be condemned. Those are some of the final words spoken by Jesus at the end of Mark. Now today, yesterday we saw the first action, or excuse me, last week, first action to Jesus. Today we get to listen in on the very first words of Jesus in Mark. Now these aren't the first words he spoke. But you use certain principles to interpret the Bible to get the true meaning from it. And one of the principles... <laughs> I even hate to say this in church, of hermeneutics. You see how smart I am. Now, one of the principles of hermeneutics, uh, understanding the Bible, is the, the principle of first mission. Mention. When something is mentioned first, you see every other, like the first action of Jesus, his baptism, you see every other action through that lens. So we're going to hear the first... Mark is going to give us the first words of Jesus, not that he spoke as a human, but that, as, that he speaks in the opening of Mark's gospel, because all the teachings of Jesus are to be seen through the lens of these first words. It's like Mark is doing this compelling drama, and scene one is the baptism of Jesus. And it is absolutely glorious. I mean, John the Baptist puts Jesus under the water. And as John the Baptist is lifting Jesus up out of the water, Jesus comes up praying. 
And as he's praying, the heavens part and the Holy Spirit of God descends on Jesus with creative power. Now Jesus can work miracles. Now Jesus can work wonders. Now he can do the sensational, the anticipated, the unexpected, the unparalleled. And then from heaven, God the Father speaks love over his son. You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And all the stage lights go out and the curtains glide to a close. Scene one. And then the curtains open on scene two. And Mark presents Jesus as being a man on a mission. Jesus on the move. And here's what's unanticipated in scene two. Jesus is moving away from religion. He's going in the opposite direction of the religious center of the day, Jerusalem. He's going to the hill country. It's called Galilee. It's where the hillbillies like me lived. Yeah, they looked down. People in Jerusalem thought people in Galilee were a bunch of hayseeds. They weren't good enough. They were a bunch of nobodies with nothing. That's where Jesus goes, where people make their living from the land and the sea, farmers and fishermen, craftsmen, small-time crooks, big-time prostitutes. That's where Jesus goes. The Word of God says, Jesus came to Galilee, the hill country, preaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So we still haven't heard the first words of Jesus, but let me share with you what he's given voice to. Mark uses the word preaching in the Greek, it's caruso, and it means to declare, to announce with authority. And people were absolutely blown away by the authority with which Jesus taught. He didn't quote other scholars, other sources. Jesus spoke as if he wrote the book himself. So what is he declaring? What is he giving voice to? It's called the gospel. Now we're church people. We've heard about the gospel, but it was not a Bible word. It did not originate in the Bible. It's a word that came out of the Greek culture. 500 years before Jesus, the word was coined. Here's what happened. Persia invaded Greece, attacked Greece with full intention of enslaving Every Greek, man, woman, and child, going to put them in bondage, going to enslave them. But the Greeks fought back and won a decisive battle at Marathon. And when the battle was won, they sent heralds or preachers to declare with authority the gospel. Now, the gospel, that word is in the Greek is euangelion, and it means... There we go. And it means news that brings joy. So what with this news? I mean, if we found out, this is not the daily news. This is not even good news. If we found out this afternoon that the hostility and the war in Ukraine was over, we'd all be happy. This isn't happy news. This is news that brings, this is news that just rocks your world with joy. Absolute joy. And so what was the gospel? The news that would rock the Greek world with joy? Here's what the heralds proclaimed with authority. We have fought. We have won. 
Now you will not be slaves. You are free. That was the gospel. Can you see why the New Testament writers picked that word to speak of Jesus who fought for us on the cross, who bled and died for us on the cross and won a great victory for us as he rose from the dead three days later. So now we are no longer slaves to sin and death. He defeated, he fought hell and won. He fought sin and won. He fought death and won. And now we win. We are no longer slaves. We're free free to enjoy, free to experience, free to embrace the superabundant life of Jesus, superabundant hope, superabundant peace, superabundant love, superabundant joy. And so the writers of the New Testament grabbed that word. This is Jesus. He fought for us. He won for us. We're no longer slaves. We are free. So Jesus comes proclaiming with authority the good news. It'll rock your world with joy of the kingdom of God. When you hear that news, when you embrace that news, when you experience that news, in the last service, a husband and wife were baptized. They embraced that news. They experienced that news. All their sins were washed away, put their past behind them, buried their baggage. I have at least one of my friends who's gonna be baptized in this service they're embracing the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God. Great joy, just gonna wreck their world and rock their world. But the opposite is also true. If you listen to and believe the worst kind of news, you're gonna feel absolutely miserable. It happened to me for the first time about 10 years ago when I was a freshman in high school. Forgive me for lying, Lord. No, I'm like 14, 15 years old, freshman in high school, basketball practice. And I don't know how the fight started, but I knew I was about to take the beating of my young life. Uh, The guy that had my back pinned to the gym floor, he was bigger than me, stronger, meaner, found me an easy target to bully. At that moment, he had his knees on my shoulders, a hand on my throat, and one fist pulled back to Pound my extremely good-looking face. And uh, just then, uh, the coach's whistle blew, and I wish it hadn't. I mean, everyone was called to line up for practice because what happened in my heart was worse than a beating because the guy on top of me, he leans down and just hisses in my face, Clark, you're nothing. You're a nobody. You're not worth the trouble. He pushes himself off me, jumps up, runs the lineup with the other players. As I scrape myself up off the floor, I have a new label scraped and scratched against my soul. Clark, you're nothing. You're a nobody. You're not worth the trouble. That became my image of myself for years. And it's always made me wonder if it wasn't the image that Simon had of himself. We find him in Mark, he and his brother Andrew, grabbing nets. The nets are circular, like big webbed webbed frisbees, and they sling them out. And the nets hover just for a minute, 
and then slap the surface of the water below the water and then they would pull them in with ropes and I just wondered as they worked the nets if Andrew didn't think and Simon didn't think, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. I'm not worth the trouble. You see, in Simon's day, 30 AD, to be a big somebody, I mean a big somebody that everybody looked up to, you had to be a rabbi's follower. A rabbi was a teacher. And we think today, well, that's weird. You wouldn't get on the cover of People magazine if you followed some teacher. But back then, that was the dream of every Jewish teenage boy. That was the dream of every dad and mom for their teenage son. You see, at that time, every little Jewish boy went to school. Everyone without exception. And the best, only the best, got to go into what we would call high school. In elementary, middle school, um, they memorized the first five books of the Bible and would quote them verbatim. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they, at graduation, they would recite that. And the best, whoever was the best at doing that, the best got to go on to high school. And only the best of the best at graduation got an interview. Oh my gosh, got an interview with a rabbi. Moms and dads were so proud. Oh, our son's being interviewed by a rabbi. The kids, they were nervous as cats. Got an interview with a rabbi. I might get to be a rabbi's follower. But as the rabbi questioned the student, if the student's answers were not quite what the rabbi hoped, the rabbi would say, you're a good boy. But it would be better if you went home and plied the family trade like fishing. But if the kid, if the kid was a really sharp student and his answers exceeded the rabbi's uh, questions and expectations, the rabbi would say, you know something? Oh my gosh, I believe you got it in you to be like me. I believe you got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me. That had never happened to Simon and Andrew. They, they didn't make the cut. They had recently been rejected by a rabbi. They would never be anybody. They were stuck. They were doomed to be nobodies, nothing, not worth the trouble. And so they fished. Nobody, nothing, not worth the trouble until this happened. The right time has come, Jesus announced. The kingdom of God is near. Turn away from your sin and believe the gospel. One day, Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he saw Simon and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. And Jesus called out to them, come, follow me. Two powerful, irresistible magnets of truth that God wants to use to draw our hearts. The good news, the news that will rock you with joy, the kingdom of God is only a heartbeat away for you. Believe the good news. Turn away from your sin. You can enter the kingdom of God today.
These two brothers had heard that good news and they found it compelling. They knew, don't miss the fact that they knew Jesus. Jesus and Andrew and Simon were friends. They had been introduced to Jesus by John the Baptist. He said, behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the two brothers began to follow Jesus and they would hang out with him through the day. But always when the day was over, the lesson was done, back to their homes, back to fishing. But on this day, they never saw it coming. Not even on their radar, not in their wildest imaginings would they ever believe that Jesus would say to them, come, follow me. Because they knew what he was saying. They knew he was saying, I believe you boys got it in you. He's 30 years old. They're teenagers. You boys got it in you to be like me. You got it in you to do what I do. Come, follow me. That's his call. You see, those two compelling magnets that draw our hearts irresistibly, one is the good news that the kingdom of God is a heartbeat away. Change your life. Turn from your sins. Turn to God with all your heart. And as soon as you say yes and are baptized, he puts his call on your life. This morning, it may be a call to be baptized. Maybe it's a call to believe. Maybe you haven't ever gotten that and now you're getting it and now you're believing that Jesus is God who died for your sins and rose from the dead. He's calling you to believe that. And when you believe that, he calls you to be baptized. And when you are baptized, he calls you as he calls Simon and Andrew. He calls you to be like him. And how could you ever be like Jesus? You do what he did. He served He served the hurting and the hungry. He loved on children. And so he was calling Simon and Andrew. And in the very same way, he's calling you right now. He is present. This is as personal as it gets with Jesus. He is present with you now. He is hovering at your side right now. He is in the air you breathe He wants to help you experience and embrace a joy that will rock your world. And he's calling you to be like him by doing what he did. Now, before you say yes or no or whatever, I want you to see what Jesus promised Simon and Andrew. He said this, don't don't be afraid. Let go of your fears. It's likely what he's saying to you this morning. Come and be baptized. Don't be afraid. What's the worst that can happen? Come. You're here in this service this morning because you said yes to his call to worship. But when you come to worship, he calls you to serve. He calls you to help children. He calls you to feed the hungry. He calls you to make a difference for the hurting. He's calling you to do what he did. Find out what Jesus did. Do what Jesus did and you will become like him. You got it in you to be like Jesus. You got it in you to do what Jesus did. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid from now on. You'll be fishing for people. How many of you fish? Anybody like to fish? like to fish. Um, This is a very unique 
a Greek word. It was, uh, it was actually a fishing term. They didn't fish with rods and reels. This Greek word, zogreo, uh, meant to take alive, to catch alive, to, to keep alive. They, they wanted, that's why they used nets, not hooks and rods and reels. They, they wanted to catch the fish alive, keep them alive, get them to market alive. This, this is Jesus talking their language. He's talking their fishing language. They know exactly what he means. They know that he's taking personal responsibility. When he says, come follow me, he's taking responsibility to make them like him. He's taking personal responsibility to make you like him. He's taking personal responsibility to show them how to do what he does and to show you how to do what he does. They knew that he was saying, I'm gonna show you how to take people alive and keep them alive forever with God in heaven. I'm gonna show you how to take people alive and keep them in the super abundant life of Jesus. Super abundant joy, super abundant hope, super abundant peace, super abundant love. The whole Bible is God speaking our language. This is Jesus speaking their language and he's trying to speak yours right now to call you to himself. He said, you got it in you to be like me. You got it in you to do what I do. Come. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Come. Follow me. How will you respond? Here's how they responded. They left everything. Everyone left a lucrative fishing business, dropped their nets, and follow Jesus. They, 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 they were saying, yes, we will be like you. We will do what you do. In fact, Peter, excuse me, that's Jesus changed Simon's name to Peter. And Simon, now Peter, he was there for every extraordinary action of Jesus. Even when others weren't there, Peter was there, front row seat. I'm gonna show you what I do that you will do what I do and become like me. He's given you a front row seat to be like him, to do what he does. Will you say yes? Will you leave everything and follow him? You remember that scar on my soul? You're nothing, you're nobody. That scar was a lie. And our good God has tattooed a beautiful truth so that, that scar can't even be seen on my soul anymore. And I want to share with you the truth that God has tattooed on my soul and longs to tattoo on yours. This is what the Bible says about your God and about my God. Immense in mercy, that's our God. He is immense in mercy. And with incredible love, he embraced me. I am of value. I am highly valued by God the Father. He embraces me in love. I am worthy of his touch. I am worthy of his love. He embraced me. He took my sin-dead life and made me alive in Christ. He picked me up and set me down in the highest heaven in the company with Jesus. I mean, that's right now. That's not when I go to heaven when I die. This is right now I get to do life in company with Jesus. Now God has me where he wants me with all the time in this life and the next 
to shower grace and kindness upon me in Christ Jesus. That's what he wants to do. He wants to shower grace and kindness upon you. Thank you so much for listening to the Central Wired podcast. Be sure to stay connected with us at centralwire.com and have a great week.